Welcome back to the Casey Adams Show. Today, we are currently in Honolulu, Hawaii, and I am joined by Jim Barahaw, the CEO of the Honolulu Marathon. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Jim. Hey, my pleasure, Casey. So, it's my first marathon. I flew out here from Los Angeles, and I've been looking forward to sitting down with you because not only have you built the fourth largest race in the entire USA, but you've been a runner for quite some time, and I'm excited to learn from you and to dive into your story. So, what is this... 50 year anniversary marathon mean to you? I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My first marathon that I ran was 50 years ago. Wow. In 1973, June 1973, Toledo, Ohio, which is known as the Glass City. Toledo is. And it's called the Glass City Marathon. And I ran my first marathon there. And that coincidentally happened to be the first year of this Honolulu Marathon, 1973, 171 finishers. Uh, never dreamed that I'd ever go to Hawaii, let alone uh, <laughs> live in Hawaii, and then uh, somehow be you know part of this uh, incredible event, the fourth largest marathon in the United States. Quite a journey, and I think it's been a journey for the Honolulu Marathon from those humble beginnings to now our 50th anniversary and uh, uh, coming through COVID, which yeah. is very rough for everybody on every level. Yeah, uh, We're very excited to fire that starting gun uh, on Sunday, and it's quite a scene there at the start. It's dark. It's very much like a movie set because <laughs> it's it's dark, and the fireworks go off with the starting gun, and it's uh, it's quite exhilarating and leads many first-time marathoners to make the cardinal mistake in a marathon, which is to go out too fast. It's exciting, and there's people all around you. Yep. And then about 15 miles later, you say, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and... That's uh, that's what I'm looking to not do. And this is my first marathon, as you know, and I've I've been prepping for it and I'm beyond excited for it. And funny enough, I didn't even know there was fireworks at the start until I think a week, week and a half ago. I'm glad we told you. <laughs> <laughs> has, <laughs> has that been a tradition over the past 50 years? Yeah, it's always been fireworks for uh, 50 years. So um, it's, it's, it's that darkness at the start. Uh, so it's, it's quite a scene. And... Um, it's also from a, a medical point of view and from a performance point of view. Okay, see, most of the like the, the big marathons, the top marathons, if we look in, in the United States, like Chicago, Boston, New York, go overseas in Europe, London, uh, Berlin, these kind of marathons, they're all in the spring and the fall. And the reason why they're all in the spring and the fall, Boston started the marathon. That's uh, the original one over 100 years. Yep. Spring and fall gives you the best temperature, the best weather, uh, theoretically, for the best performance. Uh, your best marathon weather is probably about 50 degrees, somewhere between 50 and 55 degrees in low humidity. So all those marathons, when they were first set up, were only for really top elite runners. So they're all all in the spring and the fall. But, you know, the 50 to 55 degrees can somehow end up being 28 to 32 degrees or (laughs) 75 to 78 degrees. So the the weather can be pretty crazy there. Honolulu, when I I first uh, was in charge, we started at 6 a.m., then we moved it to 5.30 a.m., and then we moved it to 5 a.m. Uh, because we wanted as much time in the darkness as possible to get better performances uh, from, especially the fast runners, like yourself, yep. who ran a 127 <laughs> half marathon in Malibu, man. That's pretty good. But also, it just gives a little layer of safety that the more time you can spend in the darkness, the less time you're dealing with the sun. And, of course, in the Honolulu Marathon, you know, the biggest enemy of the runner besides the course and the distance is the, the heat. So uh, it works out pretty well that way. Absolutely. Now I'm excited to get out there and get it going this Sunday at 5 a.m. And 
You know, I want to ask you, what led you to running your first marathon? Uh, I, I think you said 50 years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, three years old. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think my journey into the marathon, uh, I, I say this all the time, Casey. I, 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 it's a funny thing I do with people here. I said, uh, did you see the marathon ad on TV? They go, yeah, yeah, it was a great ad. I said, no, you didn't, because we don't advertise on TV. <laughs> and um, not, I'm not, not trying to just, you know, get them. I'm just, we don't proselytize the marathon. I think the marathon is something that people find. So if we're advertising the marathon, we're trying to find you. I mean, that's what advertising marketing does. We're going to find you and sell you our product. Yeah, we, you know, we want that. But my marathon journey, I think, is uh, representative of many people's, is you find the marathon. So my my story is I was a high school athlete, uh, baseball and basketball, never ran a step, did not like to run, uh, <laughs> got to college at the university. Of, you know, running was seen as a punishment in these sports. You know, you miss a free throw. Yeah. You know, <laughs> do some laps. Do some laps, right? Yep. It's a punishment. So you're trying to avoid that. And so I got to college at the University of Michigan, you know, big school, you know, not good enough to play on, on those sports teams. So all of a sudden, you know, a guy like myself who's been – competitive my whole life, really into sports and playing sports, you know, I'm just doing the freshman thing. And that freshman thing ain't pretty sometimes, you know, you're not, uh, you're not motivated. You're just, it's just not great. I, I, you know, I had to find my place and my dad had always jogged and I thought it was like, I thought he was like bizarre. <laughs> you know, he would, would jog a little when no one was jogging in, in the sixties. So in the early seventies, 1970, it was, um, I just, you know, maybe two months into college, I said, I wonder how, you know, if I could jog from my dorm at the University of Michigan down to the, the middle of campus of Michigan Union and back. Probably about a mile one okay. way. Wow. And I couldn't. I got to wow. the middle of campus and I said, wow, I'm really out of shape. And so I just started jogging and running boom hadn't quite hit. The running boom really hit in 1972 okay. when American Frank Shorter won the Olympic marathon in Munich. So I started jogging and just found that it, it gave me a lot. It, uh, it gave me discipline. It, I, I felt good. The endorphins are real. Yeah. I felt better. I cleaned up my act. And, uh, you know, gradually it just kept running. And uh, uh, an interesting moment for me, a guy, the next year, a guy moved in across the, the hall from me in the dorm. Uh, his name was Peter Burns, and he had transferred uh, from another school. And... Um, he was running a little more than me and he was training for the Boston marathon. Wow. And, um, which had a qualifying time and, and really motivated me. We ran a lot together and got me on that path where I said, I'm going to run a marathon. And I did all my first long runs with him. My first four miler, my first eight miler, my first 12 miler, you know, you remember these things. Absolutely. And so, uh, I, uh, there was a marathon in Toledo, Michigan didn't have a lot of races then. There was no Detroit free press marathon, certainly. Uh, yeah. and, um, so I, I went down to Toledo and ran that first marathon and, uh, um, that was a goal of mine and it was, it was really exciting and, uh, it's quite an, ex first marathon is quite an experience. Absolutely. And just hearing your journey just gives me the chills because, you know, you, you said you remember those, the four mile, the eight mile for me, it was my first 5k, first 10k. And then. I did my first 10 mile run last year and it was just the craziest experience for me because I never imagined that I would or would want to and actually go the distance of running 10 miles. And now to think back a year ago, I, I had no intentions to go sign up for a marathon and, and how you just described that earlier in the conversation of it finds you. I felt like that really happened for me very quickly where, you know, I, I did a half just 
by myself in uh, in Santa Monica. Then I committed to doing the half in Malibu recently, and then it led me to committing to the Honolulu Marathon. And I, I want to sh- pivot the conversation because running for me is, is a lot uh, in, in alignment with business in terms of the discipline it takes, the, the practice, the repetition. And you've been an entrepreneur for, for a long time now. I'd love to hear how you think about running and business. Do they have any correlations in your life or... You know, what has your business journey been like separate from running? Oh, man, I'm a loser if I hadn't run. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, I mean, talk about an unmotivated guy. You know, I was cruising. And a lot of people do that. You know, in high school, you're, you know, I wouldn't say I was a big fish in a small pond. I was a medium-sized fish in a medium-sized pond. But <laughs> then you get to University of Michigan, and, you know, I said, like, what happened to all the dumb guys? <laughs> You know, you know, you where'd they, where'd they all go? And so you, yeah. you know, it's a, just a completely uh, competitive thing, different different thing. And the, the the discipline I got from running, to get up every day, and do it, and I did it for a long time. Uh, it uh, it just gives you a confidence, it gives you a, 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 a discipline, it gives you a sense that you can achieve things, because every run in a way presents an obstacle. I, there's very few runs I've ever had, you know, in the number of years I ran, that I it didn't have a moment where I didn't say, why am I out here? You know, that exhilarating runner's high where the endorphins are really kicking in, it's real, but it t- often takes a while to run. And I can tell you, I probably ran a couple hundred races at least. Every race I ever ran, I had a nanosecond where I said, I'm going to drop out. I'm going to quit. Wow. Why did I do this? Because, and the reason why that happens in a race is because you're running at your aerobic threshold, it's called. Mm-hmm. You're running as fast as you can without crashing. So if you're not doing that, if you're doing a, a race and you're saying, this feels great, la-di-da, you're not running fast enough. But I think as far as the business thing, it just gave me a motivation and a discipline and a sense that I could achieve things, but, but an understanding that achievements are done in small pieces. Because you don't start out by running. You say, I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. You start out by running a half a mile yep. or walking a half a mile. And then gradually over enough period of time, you achieve what you would have considered not possible. And I think my business journey is the same way where I started with an idea. I executed the idea and then, you know, gradually watch it grow. I started a company called Doctors on Call here in Hawaii. I recognize there's a lot of tourists here yep. and very little health care for them. And, but it actually started earlier. I started a house call business. Okay. That's where the name Doctors on Call came from. Okay. So it's house calls only, I said. And so I got, I got an article in the newspaper. This is, you know, way back in a different media day. And I did house calls for 18 months. Wow. And then I met the manager of a hotel, Hyde Regency Waikiki. He said, why don't you put a clinic here in the hotel? And I did that. And, and, so th- and you went to school for this, just for, for context. I you, went to you, medical you school. Wanted, you wanted to go to medical school. I, you wanted to do this. This was... No. <laughs> okay. Not even close. Okay. I, you know, it's a traditional medical school thing, University of Michigan, uh, you know, kind of put that one on a little bit of cruise control too, and wasn't sure what I was going to do and came out to University of Hawaii in 1979 to do a one-year residency. And from there, I was going to go to the University of Louisville to do dermatology. Wow. And I got to Hawaii, was out here for a year and said, man, I like it here. (laughs) And so I delayed that residency for a year. And then I said, you know what? I don't want to do it. I'm going to do something different. And I started this house call company and I probably did 7,000 house calls. Wow. And then got this office and eventually built 19 clinics uh, on multiple islands, sold them to a, a big hospital chain here. So, not, so my journey was very much like the running journey in a sense that there, 
you know, that, that first day when I took that first step to run across campus, you know, it didn't occur to me that I would run a marathon. It didn't occur to me that I would, you know, run races. And it never occurred to me that through the running that I would end up being involved in the Hanu Marathon and, and then having the experiences that I've had. So I think running, and it doesn't have to be running. I say now it doesn't have to be running. It can be yoga. It can be Pilates. It can be ballet. It can be whatever. But I think the thing is an active, healthy lifestyle and the discipline and the feeling that it gives you both yep. physically and psychologically, you can achieve things. I think you have to do something like that. Absolutely. I, I love that perspective. And it's it's so cool hearing your journey and your story and not being so involved with the Honolulu Marathon over the last 35 years. It's It just makes so much sense looking back, but you could have never predicted this. And I want when talking about the, the business side, the medical practices, so you said you were seeing tourists coming here a lot, and that was the opportunity where you said, hey, I'm going to go build clinics. What was, you know, the the opportunity there, the the competition? Because I myself, and I think a lot of people, right? They, I'm coming to Hawaii, and then I'm going back to Los Angeles. I don't live here. Yeah. Like, what was your experience living here, and, and how did you see that opportunity present itself? I remember, you know, I set up this house call business. It wasn't going to be a tourist business at first. I thought there might be a niche, and you know, I was just a guy run, back then. I was like a, a a fairly top local runner, okay, in Hawaii. So I was known for that, and I just wanted to hang out and. Yeah, it was like an extended, I wouldn't call it an adolescence, but it was an extended college. You know, a college <laughs> you're having parties, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. You're out in Hawaii, it's laid back, and I'm digging this. Yeah. <laughs> I remember meeting with the guy, it was a marketing guy, uh, and said, uh, he said, what's your goal? You know, and I said, yeah, if I could see like 20 a week, so like three house calls a day, then I can just hang out on the beach and do my running and have fun. And so, and eventually, you know, just you know, went from that to... Uh, we saw 40,000 patients a year. So that, wow. you know, so like a very different business, but, yeah. um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was an interesting, you know, thing, the tourist thing kind of, I got a call from the, I started noticing a lot of the house calls are from the hotels. In fact, the, the one hotel is a Saudi Royal family. They take two floors. And I was like, yeah. I was spending like half a day there. It was great. <laughs> and so then I realized there may be an opportunity here in the tourist market. And I kind of timed it perfectly when the Japanese tourism started in Hawaii in around 1982, 1983. And so we really, uh, uh, I set up uh, bilingual uh, clinics and Japanese speakers. And Very that cool. segued perfectly into when I got involved in the marathon as Japanese tourism was starting to go here. When we first met uh, we, uh, with people in Japan about partnering with the Hanui Marathon, I had a lot of experience working with the Japanese and we eventually yep. got uh, up to 21,000 Japanese Wow. participating in the marathon so that is very cool to hear and that, that it br i'm so curious because i've hosted over the last five years different events launch parties for companies and just bringing people together and there's an art to it and there's a science to doing it right and there's a science to doing it wrong and you know i i pick up my bib this morning there's thousands of people collecting their information there's so many incredible volunteers how have what have you learned through hosting an event with you know upwards of 20, 30, 40,000 people in a city and there's so many logistics and things that could go wrong. Like what mm. have, what have you noticed and how have you uh, gotten better at that over time? How was your packet pickup? Was it okay? It was perfect. <laughs> I walked in, I grabbed my bib and by the time you texted me, I had everything I needed. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's such a good question. And, um, there's so many moving parts to something like this. Um, so the, you know, I guess someone, asked me the other day, we're talking about business. And I said, if 
like, what's the most important thing? I said, if there's uh, one word that, and we can ex expand on that, if there's one word that I'd describe what I learned about business, and particularly this business of the Hanu Marathon, because it is a business. People used to say, it's a nonprofit. They say, are you a nonprofit? And I say, yeah, you left out a word. I say, what? They say, what word? I said, corporation. We're a nonprofit corporation. And I'm not doing that to, to be cute or silly. I'm doing it for a reason because it reminds us that it's a corporation. It's a business. Now, we don't want you to see that business. When you come here and pick up your pack and you go to the starting line, you want to have an experience. So the business is not something you should see or notice. But it is a business. So from where I sit, what's a business at the end of the day? Business is you have taken more money than you spend. That's it. It is yeah. not that much more complicated than that. But the one word that I've learned the most is called outsource. Outsource. And from, uh, in other words, find people who are experts in what they do. And if we break down what we're doing in the marathon in terms of, you know, road security, police, uh, building things, uh, yeah. uh, uh, you know, everything you can think of is all outsourced. And uh, from a leadership point of view, the, the same word would be delegate. Man, you've got to learn to delegate. And when I started my company, Doctors on Call, it was interesting because I was uh, 27 and I had never started a company. I had no business experience. I was in medical school, man. I'm like picking apart <laughs> cadavers. I'm not, yeah. not any <laughs> business training. Yep. And I gave it a name. I didn't call it Dr. Jim Bear Hall's practice. It's called it Doctors on Call. Part of it, I, I had a sense that maybe I'd have people working for me or with me. And I didn't think they would want to work for for. Dr. Jim Bearhall's practice. I didn't think somebody would want to answer the phone and say, Dr. Bearhall's office. I thought it would be better if it was a company. And I also knew that, that there wouldn't be so much centered on me. Even if I was in charge, it wouldn't just be me. It would be something bigger. Yep. And so fairly quickly I learned, and this is a saying I use a lot, say if you want something done exactly the way you would do it, do it yourself. And it's like a, it's a fundamental business thing Absolutely. with me. And that as a leader... When you see some, you, you know, you don't just rush in and say, you're not doing this right, you know, this how you do it. <laughs> There's a wide range of what's okay. Yep. And if, but if you think that you could do it better, then you'll never build a business because you'll be such a micromanager. You'll be such a nightmare boss that you'll never get people to work. So you got to, <laughs> so you got to give, give people the, the knowledge and the, and the vision and the, you know, what's the mission? What are we trying to accomplish here? And within that, let them do their thing. Obviously, if somebody's just horrifying, you have to do something. Yep. But in general, if you want something done exactly the way you would do it, do it yourself. And so Very valuable. And, and, and so they'll do it differently, and you'll yep. be shocked at sometimes how they'll do it better <laughs> than you would have thought of. So Absolutely. I think, you know, as, as it, like to, to this kind of thing with so many moving parts happens on one day, no dress rehearsal. That's what we say. We don't yeah. get a dress rehearsal. I'll yeah. tell you, if last Sunday we could have put this marathon on just for grins, just to work out the kinks and see where, you know, the <laughs> mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? The city's not going to let us close the roads for a dress rehearsal. Yep. So we also know that things are going to go wrong and they will in business. They'll go in relationships. And, and so the, the, that's not a problem. It's just, it's a, it's a truth is that things will go wrong and we don't know which things will go wrong. If we knew which things would go wrong, they wouldn't go wrong. We would correct them. Yep. So we know things will go wrong. So as we, we hit the race day, we have a lot of experience and we have a lot of eyes and we're watching. 
And if something goes wrong, we try to fix it the best we can, and hopefully it's it's not something that that's terrible. So, um, and and people you know, have asked me like how you know the pressure and all the moving parts. How do you deal with it? And the answer is I never think about it. I never think about it. And I used to say one day a year, being like October, I'd wake up in the middle of the night in a panic. I'd say, oh my <laughs> God, how are we going to do this? It's, I can't control all this. I don't know. You know, it's a, you know, there's so many, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So basically I don't think about it. We have an incredible team. I have an incredible race director, JJ Johnson, who's a former military guy. Cause in many ways this is a military operation. Absolutely. Got your team, turn them loose. And, uh, you know, at the end, we, John Cross and I, who's my old buddy from Michigan is out here. We used to joke about, it, I said, it's only a foot race. It's another thing we had. It's only a foot race. <laughs> and a foot race has its own momentum, right? We're going to line you up and, and we also used to joke, only one person needs to know the course, the guy in the lead. <laughs> Everybody else is going to follow that person. Yep. So, you know, it has a certain momentum. It has a certain flow and a certain energy. And we're not really trying to control it. We're trying to maybe contain it. And so, you know, generally it goes pretty well. And, and um, But, yeah, if you think about it too much, you go nuts. Yeah, Very valuable feedback. I appreciate you for sharing that. And, with the race day coming up here soon on Sunday, again, first first marathon I'm running, you are very experienced as a racer, as a business owner. What advice would you give me when I'm on mile 20, 22 of this race? And how do you be present in that moment, in your opinion? A couple of things. It's interesting you said, how do you be present in that moment? Uh, years ago, uh, Runner's World did a study on, on competitive runners, like top runners and more recreational runners and they found that the like uh, higher level runners and you're definitely trending in that direction <laughs> do not dissociate they actually stay in the moment they concentrate on what they're doing they're almost like a little computer you know how you know how my legs feel how my foot i got this blister this thing's hurt you know you know you, you, that's how i was and the the slower or the more recreational runner that's all good just for fun tend to dissociate they listen to music they think about something else they you know they get away from it so you know that's an interesting thing uh, for sure. Um, I think because it's 50th anniversary of my first marathon, I've thought about that experience a lot. And, I, 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 and I, I've used this saying a lot. I say, you're going to learn a lot about yourself when you run your first marathon. And the main thing you're going to learn is you're a coward. That's, <laughs> that's <laughs> what you're going to learn. Because, I, you know, <laughs> I hope you don't so learn good. that. But <laughs> you're, you're going to definitely, because you know, I was. In my first marathon, okay. man, I was. You know, I was out there like 18, 19 miles, and I was, you know, I was heading for maybe, I don't know, 240, right? And I'm feeling pretty good. Wow. In the span of about 10 minutes, you know, I was a coward. I mean, I wasn't a coward. I just felt bad, and I had to start walking. So when you look back on it, it's not really fair but you, but it, uh, to yourself, but you realize that the, the training and the discipline and the mental toughness and, and you know, the things you said you weren't going to do, uh, you know, you start making accommodations pretty quickly. And the reality is it's probably physiological. You know, once the lac lactic acid hits, once you exceed your aerobic, your oxygen carrying capacity, you, you know, you, you crash pretty fast, but you also learn you're not as tough as you thought. And so my first three marathons, I walk parts of them. And for the fourth marathon, I just said, okay, I got one goal in this marathon now. I don't care how slow I go, how fast I go. I'm not going to walk. I'm not going to walk. And I didn't. And from then on, I didn't walk anymore. Oh. You're going to get this overpowering yeah. 
sensation that you're going to walk. And so I, you know, you ran a 127 half. So, you know, you're obviously in really good shape. And the, 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 the trick is to not get out too fast and all the excitement. I mean, I, I told you this, I ran Boston Marathon one year with a, a, a guy we trained. He, had, he was a competitive runner at the University of Michigan named Kim Hildebrand. And we had another friend named, named Earl Bogro who was training with us, but he wasn't as fast as us. But, but somehow we all qualified for Boston. <laughs> and so we got to Boston, and Boston is downhill the first few miles. You start in Hopkinton, you're going through Ashland, and, you know, there's little towns, Natick, and I think we had Natick. And Earl would always wear this, like, like a hideous uh, green, like sweatsuit. <laughs> you know, we call them like like tortoise or turtle or something. It was like you couldn't you couldn't miss. It was like ir- yeah. iridescent. And so Kim and I are coming down this hill toward Natick, and we said, "That's Earl," you know, and he was ahead of us. And there was no way he was going to be within. Although he ended up, you know, breaking three thirty, uh, wow. there's no way he was going to be within a half hour of us at the end. And we ran by him. We said, "Saka," he said, "You were you were going to die so bad because." He went out too fast. So that's the trick is to find your pace and just try to run with people. You're gonna it's interesting in, I don't know if you experienced that in the half, is that you'll meet people running a marathon. Totally. You'll run with a f- group of people and they may be faster or slower than you. You'll you'll leave and then there'll be another group of people. Yep. And uh, try to hold your pace as long as you can, stay tough, hydrate and try not to walk. Try not to walk. Absolutely. It's okay if you walk. That's Most of the people here do walk. Yeah. And, and they're finishers, and it's a great achievement. But from a competitive running point of view, you know, do the math. If you're running uh, six and a half minutes a mile, seven minutes a mile, yep. six six fifty six a mile is three hours. I know that. And so, if you start walking, even if you're walking reasonably quick, you're probably going to be at sixteen to eighteen yeah. minutes a mile. So you're going to lose ten to twelve minutes a yep. mile in that period. So if you walk five miles, you're going to lose an hour. Yeah. So the trick is you're going to have to walk. If you walk, just delay it as long as possible. <laughs> and some people do it another yeah. way. They do a walk jog yep. training thing, right? Run two minutes, jog one. So different, different ways of tackling the beast here for sure. Thank you so much for the, the feedback. I'll, I'll, I'll be thinking about that on the run. And last question before we wrap up, Jim, just if you were to give yourself a piece of advice to your 18, 20 year old self, whether that's business or in running, what would that advice be and why? Wow. That's a good question, man. I asked my, this is interesting. My dad ran the marathon three times the last time when he was 71 years old. And actually, which is quite amazing. 71. 71. He came out here from Michigan. And then the the fourth time he ran it, we were waiting the finish line and and, uh, (laughs) we couldn't find him and got really scared and got the police and everything. And finally, there was no cell phones in those days. He was by the hotel pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I changed my mind. No, normally he'd be eating a corned beef sandwich, but they, they don't they don't have that in Hawaii. But yeah, the guy's sitting by the pool. So, and then that was a long segue into uh, my friend Tony Revis, who's a running broadcaster, was out here, fairly well known. We were having dinner one night, and my dad was like, you know, he said, he said, George, he goes, what was your favorite decade? Right, like a good question. The guy's seventy years old. What was your favorite decade? My dad was born in 1917. My dad pauses for a minute and says, the 20s. And like Tony Rose, 
the 20s. He says, you were a kid. What, what, and then I said, like, come on, not when you were a kid. And he says, oh, the 30s. And I'm like thinking, well, wait a minute. So all this time with the kids and raising the family, it doesn't count for much. We're going 20s and 30s. So, okay, but, so I'm looking back to you know, my 18-year-old self. Okay, you know, a guy who, uh, you know, the older I get, the better I was. You know, so looking back like on the sports stuff, you know, having a little chip on my shoulder, playing high school sports, sitting on the bench, basketball, and thinking I should be starting. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, you, you know, we all go through that Absolutely. kind of stuff, whether it's, you know, sports or, you know, you meet a girl or a guy, you know, you, you just, you know, this, there's a lot of that angst going on. And, you know, by the way, that's what another thing that got me into running because I said, you know what, I don't have to have some coach saying I'm not good enough. I don't have to sit on the bench. And yep. I can I can be on my own starting lineup and only I can prove or disprove the idea that I'm that I'm not good enough cuz you know what the clock don't lie. <laughs> the clock's going to tell me how yeah. good or bad I am and that was exhilarating for me. Uh although in retrospect the coach was probably right. <laughs> but when you're 18 years old you're not thinking that way. And I think running is so freeing in that way for the first time because uh, you're in control of, of that performance, of your fitness, of your destiny. It gives you control. And so, you know, my 18-year-old self, um, honestly, I think I did the right thing. I think my dad is an inspiration, although I thought he was crazy to run. The guy would be out there without a shirt, and he's running. You know, it's <laughs> embarrassing when you're a kid. But the <laughs> fact that he was running planted something in my mind that there's another way to go here and, and you know i had my six to eight weeks where i was a goofball and wasn't studying and and uh and i found running and through that i found a, a goal every day and i found a, a discipline and a motivation and a way of controlling my my life my fitness my my motivation i learned not to blame people i learned to be self-sufficient I learned that, that I was the captain of my own ship and that I could learn to define accomplishments in any number of ways. And, and, and I'll, I will say one last, so I don't think I change it, but I'll tell you one thing we, we say about this race. We have no time limit. In, 19, I'm sorry, in 2017, we had the fastest time in the United States, 207.59, our winner. Wow. And we had the slowest time in the United States, 17 hours and 20 minutes, our last finisher. Wow. We're proud of that. And what we say, what I say, and what I truly believe, it's not just marketing. I say that in our own life, because you asked me about my 18-year-old self, and now I'm 70. And I say in our own life, we redefine who we are and, and our, what our goals and what our accomplishments are constantly. And if you're not, you should, because otherwise yeah. you're going to be too hard on yourself. So we're all, you know, someone asked me the other day, you know, you're, you know, you know, say you're, you're a good person, you're a good man, and I'm a work in progress. <laughs> We're all works in progress. Yeah. And so we've decided with the marathon that we let each individual define their own accomplishment. I don't pass judgment on it. Because if you told me when, when I ran my first marathon in 1973, Jim, when you're 70 years old, you're going to walk a marathon. It's going to take you 11 hours, and you're going to consider that a great accomplishment. I'd say, come on, man, what are you talking about, right? Inconceivable. And you know what? I don't think I could do that now. Yeah. So we let people decide what's important to them, what's their own accomplishment. We applaud that. We celebrate that. They're out here for a million reasons. We'll never know all the reasons, but we know there's a thread there. 
it's a process of self-discovery. It's a process of being a work in progress. It's finding an active, healthy lifestyle. It's often in memory of somebody who paved the way. And so that's why we love this event so much. And we'd love to provide that platform to people to, to, to find their own accomplishment, to find joy in life and in being alive and in celebrating life and, and whatever that entails with the marathon. So that's, I think, a spirit that hopefully is kind of permeating this event. And, and I think, you know, my 18-year-old self somehow luckily put on those shoes one day and got to the middle of the University of Michigan campus called the Diag <laughs> and, and put my hands on my knees and said, you are pathetic. <laughs> and instead of saying, I'm never going to do this again, it hurts, I said, you need to do something about this. And I think everybody's going to be out there on Sunday, got to that point at one point where we say, I'm moving in a different direction. And so it's going to be yeah. a real celebration. Wow. That was very, very special, Jim. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. I am truly looking forward to this race and I look forward to reporting back on uh, how I did and what the experience was like for myself. So thank you so much. And for everyone watching or listening, where's the best place they can learn more about the Honolulu Marathon, uh, stay up to date with what's happening for the years to come for this race? Yeah, let me give you myself a no. www.honolulumarathon.org. Perfect. I will make sure to link that down below. And for everyone watching, thank you so much for tuning in. I will talk to you soon.